Hi! I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. Okay, so let me tell you about OJ and Nicole. Yes, please. I'm very ready for this relationship drama. Lay it on me. It's not a fun time. Great. Oh my God, even more intrigue. (laughs) I'm about it. I love a good, like, dramatic love story interlaced with murder. It's just so good. It is so good. Uh, And this is where we get our, like, second kind of thing to advocate for. So if you're advocating for OJ's innocence, there's obviously your, I mean, that's what you're advocating for Mm -hmm. is innocence, which is fun. And then if you're advocating for his guilt, this has a lot to do with it. Oh, okay. So unfortunately, OJ was a perpetrator of domestic violence. What an asshole. Yeah. So the police had responded to domestic disturbance calls nine separate times. Yo, that's a lot of times. And those are the times that, like, calls were placed. Yeah. And he pleaded no contest to spousal abuse in 1989. And there's a really, really awful, upsetting, saddening 911 phone call that got, not leaked, but some when this was happening and he was a suspect before... He was charged. Some smart journalists went and did a records request for 911 phone calls regarding the address of Nicole's house. And the people doing the records request didn't say no because they were right because they didn't know that they had to say no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Some sneaky, sneaky journalism work. Get in there early, you know? Yeah. So they actually got some 911 phone calls when this was all kind of like coming to fruition and released them. And there's one that makes me so upset and just, like, terrified for Nicole, where she says, like, the 911 operator says something along the lines of, like, just stay on the phone with me. Or she says something, like, prompting Nicole. And then Nicole says, I don't want to do that. He's going to beat the shit out of me. (gasps) Oh. The sound of her voice is almost like she's, it's it's not like a terror thing. It's not like like a casual It's like a, he's going to beat the shit out of me again. It's almost like it's a daily occurrence, like right. it's a commonality more than something that's happening like one off or every month or something like that. Yeah, like when you listen to the phone call, it's almost like she's ex- she's very experienced in this and the 911 operator tells her to do something. She's like, no, like she's yeah, comfortable like that's in the setting, happen. which you should not be comfortable in. No. So I just want to make this clear, like very clear before we move forward. I think OJ is an abusive, narcissistic asshole Yep, who is probably capable of murdering Nicole. But do I believe wholeheartedly without a doubt that he is a murderer? Like, that's a different question. Sure. And so I don't want to have any sort of, I love OJ or like, OJ is the best. Like, because mm-hmm. that's not the case at all. No. I heard the, I've heard the 911 phone call. I know that he is an awful human being. Yeah doesn't make you a murderer. So that's what we're examining here today. Not necessarily, do we love OJ or do we hate OJ? The question is, is OJ innocent or is OJ guilty? (laughs) So just, you know, recognize the differences in those two things. So, Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So now I'm going to tell you about my favorite trial in the history of trials so that we can (laughs) all have, you know, our opinions and talk about them later. (laughs) So before I tell you about what happened in the trial, let's talk about our key players. 
So let's go prosecution side first because they go first. Okay. So Marsha Clark is the lead prosecution attorney. She was a deputy district attorney with the LAP or the LAPD with the Los Angeles DA's office. Mm -hmm. And she began her career as a prosecutor in 1981. She was actually a public defender before, which is a woman after my own heart. Yes. And... I think that she just kind of, which this happens to a lot of public defenders, is you just get like bummed out about society. Sure. And you're like, I think I'd rather go catch the bad guys. Yeah. (laughs) That happens sometimes. And Mm -hmm. that's fair. So before OJ, she famously prosecuted the murder of actress Rebecca Schaefer successfully. And she was just used to um, prosecuting high profile murder cases, which is why she obviously took the lead on this case. She was a experienced prosecutor. She'd kind of done the limelight thing before. Obviously not to this extent. No. But she she was just like the woman for the job. Yeah. She fit the profile. Totally. So Chris Darden is her co-counsel. Mm-hmm. And he was also a very experienced prosecutor. But at the time that he was asked to join the team, he was actually working with the Special Investigation Division, which investigates crimes committed by law enforcement. So these are divisions in district attorney's offices who will look at crimes committed by, like, the people on their side, essentially. Sure. So, like, law enforcement or public officials, people that they're working with usually. And even though they shouldn't be partners, even though those should be separate entities, they're not. No. So. You kind of have to have that check in place. So really big departments like the L.A. DA's office will have this thing going on. So he sure. was doing that. And this will be important later. But just keep that in mind. He okay. investigated law enforcement. So, Fabulous. <laughs> I can't wait to tell you that part later. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> so he was first asked to join the OJ team to prosecute A.C., the friend who was driving the Bronco, for aiding and abetting a fugitive. But then they decided to drop that case because it was kind of dumb. Yeah, because could he even be... I mean, like, what are the parameters of becoming a fugitive? You could label him a fugitive because he knew... There was, first of all, there's a warrant for he his arrest. Yeah, he yeah, made yeah. this agreement to arrive at the LAPD's office at a specific time, and then he didn't, and then he, and then he drove away. Okay. So, like, yeah. But it was just a dumb thing because of the circumstances of this. Like, And plus, like, the suicide note and all of these yeah. threats to his life. Like, there's what's a lot your of friend going to do? Be like, no, yeah. I don't want to aid and abet you. Like, It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I would aid and abet you. I would aid and abet you, too. Oh, my God, thanks. Oh, I love you. Okay. <laughs> love you too <laughs> sorry I realized I said okay after you said that's <laughs> like me. okay it's like okay you can, you can love me back if you want to um <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm sorry it's okay. okay let's try it again love you I oh, love you too okay there we go <laughs> So once they decide to drop the case against AC they're like hey Chris come on over here Let's prosecute OJ together. Let's do this as a team. Yes. So there is a lot of speculation that Chris Darden was actually asked to join the team because he was black and because it would look good to have a black man prosecuting OJ to kind of like make it a foolproof thing. Mm. I don't know. But really fun fact about Chris Darden that I just learned. I put it on Instagram because 
on our Instagram on the Killer Vibes one because I was so excited to learn about it. <laughs> so he is actually a defense attorney now and defending Eric Holder, the man accused of killing Nipsey Hussle. Interesting. So he's not sticking to the status quo. You know quo. what? I love a rebel. I'm same. <laughs> They always get stuff done. They, they always do. make a splash. I put so. on the Instagram, I was like, is it just me? Or does he keep picking the wrong side? And like, no one said anything. And I was hoping that people would R- know who like, that is. Well, like they know who, they definitely know who he is. But I was like hoping more people would be like, yes, he is. And be like, <laughs> share in the excitement with me. But no one did. But they didn't. Participate on our Instagram. <laughs> Participate. <laughs> so we have a third co-counsel which you might not have known. I did not know that. People only think of Marsha Clark and Chris Darden. True. Let me tell you why. So his name is William Hodgman, and he was another DDA on the case. And he was like up there with Marsha, like they're going to work it together. And then Chris got added and they like did all the preparation. He was the second chair, which just means he's like, like she was the lead and he was like second. Right. So... They did all of the preparation, the jury selection, which was like a process in this case. Oh my case. god, I can only I We'll talk about jury story. We'll okay, talk. I'm have, so excited. I have a fun fact about jury. The the this jury that I don't think you know. Okay. Do you know a fun fact about this jury? I don't know a fun fact oh about this. Oh my gosh, jury. you're going to be so excited. Okay. okay. I know they went to a baseball game. <laughs> We'll talk about we'll talk about sequestering (laughs) later. So yeah, so jury selection, like all the pre-trial stuff, which is like a lot, Mm -hmm. and opening statements. Yep. But then during a prosecution strategy meeting, like after the opening statements, he was complaining of chest pains and he was hospitalized. Stress. And then he like couldn't come back. Oh, no. So he prepared the entire OJ case and didn't get to do it. <gasps> no. I know. That's so irritating. I know. So, no, he did not have a heart attack in the middle of the courtroom. I was going to just say. As depicted in the FX series, that didn't happen. <laughs> I did, yeah. But what a, what a dramatic thing that would have been. I know. Been. Because in the series, there's a part where, so you have to, like, hand over your witness list to the other person side and the defense had for in the show the defense forgot to do it and they were going to bring up these witnesses in the opening statement but then the other side wouldn't have had an opportunity to also bring them up and say this is what they're gonna tell you but this is why they're wrong in their opening statement because they weren't on the jury or the witness list and then uh the defense was like we're just gonna do it anyways and so they start the opening statement in the show And to clarify, this is in the show. It's not real. And they're like, they say like one witness's name and he's like so upset and objecting. And the judge is like, "Um, counsel, is this true? And they're like all like having their whole thing. And then he just falls to the ground and has a heart attack. And then they like wheel him out of the courtroom. That did not happen, but I wish it did. (laughs) Like it just, I don't know. Sometimes films depict events in real life and they're just so much better than the actual events. Like when you said that that guy was like peeking over a hedge like I wish that was how that happened. Oh my gosh because that's how that's the one thing that I like distinctly remember about that first episode because I was in um, a communications law class and we were talking about privacy and one of the big issues is like 
reporters peeking over really tall hedges and getting pictures of people. Yeah, Yeah, so it's... um, Or intrusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always um, get those words. Yeah. Um, It's just like you have an expectation of privacy and then it's invaded or whatever. So that's what I remember. But these things are not real. And we're clarifying. Or Randy's <laughs> clarifying. Well, the hedge thing could have been real. I yeah. don't actually know exactly how that picture came to be. So it right. could have been real. Who knows? But I don't I don't think that that's how that happened. Probably. If not. I had to guess. But it was probably through like a grate or something like that, like a fence. Probably. But this is the one thing that I really wish was true because I just love the idea of someone being so worked up about justice that they have a heart attack, which actually <laughs> probably, I mean, that, that did. That would happen to you. <laughs> that would happen to you. I almost did sitting in here. Just, I'm like sweating right now. And this She's is like so excited. a resolved case. Oh my God. <laughs> But you totally would when you're like 60 and you're still presenting cases because that's all you want to do. And you just have a heart attack. I honestly would be fine dying that way. I I wouldn't be surprised. But William Hodgman did kind of do that just on like a less dramatic scale. He had chest pains because he was so worked up about OJ. Yes. I love it. It's it's true dedication. It's so wonderful. It's yes. so sad that he didn't get to prosecute the case yes, that, that he is worked really disappointing. Like, forever on. Yeah. And for countless hours and I can only so imagine. many headaches, I'm sure. Yeah. That's a bummer. But I still think that's cool. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so now let me tell you about the defense. The defense. I don't know why I said the it like that. Defense. The, the defense attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> also known as the dream team. Woo woo. So we've got Robert Shapiro, which I already told you about. So he was leading the dream team until OJ promoted Johnny Cochran to lead attorney. So Shapiro was still a huge contributor to the dream team. I don't want to make it sound like he wasn't, Mm -hmm. but he didn't have much litigation experience because he was like a plea plea bargaining person and he would like dismiss cases and just negotiate them outside of court. So he didn't have to do a lot of standing in front of a jury. And because of that, and because he kept saying some kind of stupid stuff, OJ was like, I'd rather have Johnny be the lead attorney. Yeah, he's probably the better choice. Yes. So Johnny Cochran has extensive trial experience, and his focus at the time was litigating high-profile police brutality cases. So, like, perfect for this situation. Yeah, honestly. A lot of OJ's defense relies on police misconduct and police racism. And he was also, this is interesting, um, Johnny was the first black ADA in L.A. Awesome. But then he was like, never mind, I'll go work as a defense attorney because like I was saying earlier with the public defender's office, like pushing you into wanting to be a prosecutor, Mm -hmm. the same thing can happen the other way around. (laughs) Like the prosecution (laughs) office can be like, Oh, no, I'll go be a defense attorney. Yeah. And he probably knew that going in, but he had saw a lot of value in being a good prosecutor, which right. I love. I love that. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'll just be a just prosecutor and then we won't have as many issues for defense attorneys to have to defend, mm-hmm. which is a really good, you know, that's a, how that's the sort of mentality some, you should have some but- good logic right there. But it's okay. But I don't know <laughs> if he really got like that. jaded at the DA's office. Sure. Or like maybe his plan to do that just didn't really work because you have to 
do all this stuff. And it kind of contradicts justice sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. But he was the assistant district attorney in L.A., which is pretty cool. That is really neat. Which is like the second in command. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. And then he started his private defense attorney attorney firm, (laughs) his (laughs) private defense firm. And that's when he when he joined O.J.'s case, he was in he had a private firm. Awesome. I don't know. That was very repetitive. (laughs) No, but that's like, that's such a cool story, though, to have this like fluctuation in his law career. That's really interesting. I love Johnny Cochran. He all, the whole reason he wanted to become an attorney is because he watched Thurgood Marshall argue the Brown v. Board case. And he was like, Oh my God. Could you imagine that? Yes. And he was like, I want to make a difference that way. Like, that's what I want to do. Yes. And I, that's why I want to become a lawyer, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, not specifically like that one guy in that one case, <laughs> but watching people make a huge difference by using the law and using their knowledge as power is so cool. And I want to do it, too. Absolutely. So I'm going to. So she's going to. <laughs> okay. So our next defense attorney is Effley Bailey. So this is probably going to be fun to you because you know Sam Shepard. Uh, yes, yes, I do. Okay, so he was convicted of, like, murdering his wife, and he's a doctor, mm-hmm. and then he was famously exonerated because F. Lee Bailey, this guy, his exoneration attorney, argued that his case was already convicted in the media, there's no way he got a fair trial, and mm-hmm. a lot of our discussion about prejudicial publicity comes from the Sam Shepard case, actually, and F. Lee Bailey, who actually successfully argued that he didn't get a fair shake because of the media, which is a hard argument to make because judges will just be like, we're not going to overturn a conviction Mm -hmm. because of the media. Like, that doesn't happen very much. So, Ethley Bailey is like, Killing it. Very persuasive. Yes, I love it. So he joins the team. Oh, so many good players here. You you don't need you don't even know yet. Okay. There's one more that you're gonna be so (laughs) excited about. So then we have Robert Kardashian. So Robert was OJ's best friend, like I said earlier, and he had he was a lawyer, but not a criminal lawyer. And he had actually let his license expire at this time. Like he wasn't actively being a lawyer. Yeah. I was gonna say lawyering. (laughs) He wasn't actively lawyering. Actively lawyering. That's probably a word. I don't know. I'm gonna say it is because it's fun to say. He wasn't actively (laughs) lawyering when OJ (laughs) was charged. But OJ was like, you have to join the team. Like you're my best friend and Mm -hmm. you're a lawyer and I trust you. So like please. So he did. He was kind of like a behind-the-scenes guy more. Like, he didn't do a lot of the examinations or he didn't do the opening or closing, but he was, like, there the whole time supporting OJ. And he obviously did the preparation stuff and, like, the strategies and just helped with all of that stuff. Absolutely. And he already had a level of notoriety to his, his Not name. Not at all. Not at all. This is kind of what cemented the no, Kardashian name. People had no clue who he was. <laughs> Well, they know who he is now, and they definitely know his children. <laughs> yeah. It's actually funny because he read the suicide note in a press conference, and people were like, who are you? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm Robert person? Kardashian. Hello. I'm a lawyer and businessman. You'll all love Kim. She's my daughter. <laughs> okay. So some people think that Robert Kardashian joined the Dream Team so that he wouldn't have to testify against OJ because he would have attorney-client privilege and you can't 
commit perjury with attorney-client privilege, like you, they can literally be like, I did it. And and you can't, you can't tell be, anybody. You can't be called to testify. No. So people think he did that for that reason. But I just think he was helping his friend. And I want that to yeah. be the story. So that's what I'm telling myself. Cool. <laughs> so, okay. My favorite. Okay. Barry Sheck. I think that's how you say his name, was also on the defense team. He is not only my favorite member of the dream team, but he's one of my favorite people ever because he co-founded the Innocence Project. And we all know Randy loves the Innocence (laughs) Project. You might be tired of me tired of me saying how much I love it and how it's a good program. I want them to hire me. If you're listening, hire me. Hire Randy. Two dream jobs. ACLU, Innocence Project. I've absolutely on this podcast asked to be hired by them. By both of them now. They're not listening. They someone might be listening. Someone go put this at, in their ear. Yes. <laughs> Tell them that Randy is ready to go right now. Right now. <laughs> no, well, she's I might not. be there. I might be doing that stuff in as little yes. as six months. I know. It's so exciting. I actually chose my law school partly because the Innocence Project for the state is in the basement of the law school. (laughs) And they were like, you can come down here and volunteer. Yes, it's perfect. I'm doing that. Absolutely. So he founded that in 1992 with another guy. But he is actually the one who tears apart the DNA evidence on cross-examination. So we'll get to that later. But he is just my favorite. He's a swell guy. He's got his (laughs) head screwed on straight. He sure does. (laughs) He's a good lawyer. What? That was so many compliments, Claire. I, I was trying to figure out which one would be good. So you said them all? So I said the ones that came into my head. They're all true. And you know what? He kind of deserves multiple, so. So there you go. Okay. So there were other law- lawyers on both. I cannot talk because I'm so There's excited. Other law- lawyers. Can you tell how? You had an words. Oklahoma accent for two seconds. I do that when I'm not thinking about not having one. <laughs> like in times right now where I get really excited and I just am not really yeah, paying like, attention to it. The lawyers down there. It'll come out. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Okay. So there were no, other lawyers. There were other lawyers. Not lawyers. Lawyers. <laughs> Some well, lawyers. Well, you can say it like that, but Randy doesn't. You don't. That's well, not really. okay. I've had a Southern accent. And it went away after, like, a year of living not in the South. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people respect me more. (laughs) Because I also have a high-pitched voice. So, like, that combined with a Southern accent, people are just like, you're stupid. Yeah. And so I kind of don't want to have it, which is sad because it's... It's part of you. My voice. (laughs) Yes. But But I get it. I understand. I just try not to have one and it's fine. Well, I'll warn you. When you okay, say thanks. things in, Thank you. in, a, in a cadence, <laughs> I'll be like, your Oklahoma's coming I out. love a Southern accent. I love them, but people don't. I feel like other people don't. So, okay. The other lawyers on both sides that were, like, working on the, they were, like, on the team, but they weren't doing the examinations and the, the closings and the openings. Mm-hmm. So... You don't really need to know about them, but just know that there were other really hardworking lawyers on both sides that I didn't mention. Yeah, they're kind of in the background. Yeah. Okay, so now let me tell you about our judge, Lance Ito. He presides over felony criminal cases for the L.A. Superior Court, 
And you're going to love these two facts so much. Okay. First fact. He was married to Margaret York, who was the first female chief of police in L.A. Yes. Better fact number two. Okay. I don't know if you could top that, but all right. They met at a homicide scene. (laughs) Really? That's their meet cute (gasps) is a murder scene. I want that to be my meet cute. Me too. Oh my gosh. You already had yours. That is not fair. I could have another like a (laughs) friendship one though. That's true. What was our friendship one? I hired you as a as a oh, reporter. Yeah. <laughs> it was an interview. Oh, in the BSB. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's the behavioral sciences building. Yeah. For those of you not in the know. <laughs> because we weren't friends for well, we were friends, but we were but like, like co-workers first. You were my boss for a minute. <laughs> but you were wonderful. And then Thank you. And then she and then when I left, like a couple months later, she took my job because she like learned so quickly and yeah. is an amazing journalist. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Automatic response. Not that, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was going to say, not that many people have told me that they love me, but if they do, so I usually just say, just say okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you watch that 70s show? Uh-huh. I love that episode when Donna tells it Eric that she loves him and he says, I love cake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was so funny. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> okay. So, let me tell you the prosecution's case. Their strategy was hard evidence in an airtight story. Love it. Good strategy. Good strategy. So, their first argument, the timeline makes sense. If the murder happened when the neighbor... Oh, I forgot to tell you about the neighbor. Okay. Oh, my God. The neighbor? Not the neighbor, but the neighbor's dog. Oh, my God. I know about the neighbor's I, dog. I'm sorry. I forgot I to tell you that. I was ask you about that, but I was like, I feel like I shouldn't ask her because I feel like it's going to come up later and she's going to tie it no. in in a more effective way than telling everyone right now. I just right now. skipped over it. <laughs> yeah. Because you were like, the body... They were murdered at 1230. The police arrived at 5 a.m. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. Well, the, no, no, no. The police arrived... At twelve ten, when okay. when it was called in, okay. but the detectives didn't the get detectives there till five. Detectives arrived. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. I was like, the way I heard it was like the police showed up at five o'clock, and I was like, I feel like that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we knew exactly what time they got murdered, we would probably know who did it. Probably. You're totally right about that. So, okay, let me tell you about this the dog. dog. So, the neighbor heard a dog barking around the time that the murder would have been like happening at like 10 something. Okay. And then the dog, their dog, uh-huh, the one who was probably barking at the murder, yeah. at the murder, was barking on the street and then a passerby was like, "What's wrong, little buddy?" and he was like, <coughs> Sorry. Come over here and like barking and like running yeah, towards yeah. the murdered bodies. <gasps> yes, so that the- someone would pay attention. <laughs> <gasps> so that they would find the murdered bodies. Dogs are too pure. Dogs are too pure for this world. I I, have to say. I don't have anything to add. That's yeah accurate. Okay. There you go. So back to our timeline thing or the prosecution's timeline. So they. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Your, my foot no, doesn't need to be there. I saw your foot and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I'm getting really comfy in here. <laughs> what am I what is it? I don't even know. I love it. <laughs> I'm embracing it. Thank you. Okay. So they were saying that if the murder happened when the dog was barking at like 10, 10, 15, then that would have given OJ plenty of time to 
go eat dinner at McDonald's, arrive home, murder them, come back and clean up and meet the limo driver as if nothing had happened. Right. Because that's like an hour. Mm -hmm. So makes sense. And important to note that his house, the Rockingham Estate, that's what it's called, OJ's house, was only six minutes away from Nicole's townhome in Brentwood. So quick walk. Mm Mm-hmm. Or drive in the Either Bronco. Way. Yeah. Hmm. Because someone saw the Bronco, or the the limo driver says that he didn't see the Bronco there when he pulled in, but that it was there when he left. Interesting. But then other witnesses contradict that. So we don't, it's a weird contested point. Yeah. <clears throat> so their second, you know, ma- the main piece of their I'm, I'm saying, like, just pieces of their prosecution um, sure. case. There's obviously, More like, than that, yeah. months of a trial happening. So uh-huh. I'm just highlighting some stuff for you. So they really highlight the motive. So Nicole and OJ had broken up. And when the murder occurred, several people have this theory that Ron and Nicole were growing closer, whether that was as friends or as in, like, a relationship kind of thing. Right. At first glance, it's just it seems like Ron was just bringing her glasses home, nice waiter at this restaurant, but a lot more could be read into it. Sure. <clears throat> Sorry. <coughs> oh, we both have to cough. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know what that is. <laughs> I have like a tickle in my throat. <laughs> so the prosecution says it doesn't really matter if Ron and Nicole were actually together. What matters is that OJ thought they were and got really jealous and we already Absolutely. know that he is capable of god knows what t- of doing to nicole yeah because we only hear the 911 phone call part of it we don't actually know but we can imagine it's worse Pretty than horrific. the 911 phone call yeah so they were like all the motive is there yeah all he needed to all he needed to know was that ron was going to her house Honestly, yeah, and that, that that's effective. And that would have been easy to find out because he went to the Mezzaluna a lot. What if someone was like, hey, Ron's going to bring Nicole's mom's glasses to her house. What's that about? Yeah. And then he was like, oh, really? Well, I'll go murder them. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he was just like stopping or by. Or them or something. Yeah. yeah, or maybe he just saw Ron arrive at the house or something. Because he's so close by. Or maybe he was just going to murder Nicole and Ron was just there. Yeah. He could have... Poor Ron. I really feel bad for Ron. I know. This is making me feel bad for him. I know. Me too. I mean, he was murdered, so I already felt bad for him, but like now, I feel even more bad. Yeah. So, okay. So, we have timeline makes sense. Motive is totally there. Totally. Their last, like, major piece of their case is the evidence. (gasps) So, let's talk about it. Do you want to talk about it? Oh. I was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay, sorry. She was motioning to the time. Yes. Okay. We'll do it in part three. (laughs) Okay. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.